0: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Doug show. I'm Doug Cunnington. And in this episode, we talked to Charlie again. You probably remember Charlie from a few months back at the time he had published about 430 articles in five months or so. He was doing this at a crazy pace and we're going to get a few updates from him. Number one, he's published about 500 articles on that initial site that he was working on that we talked about before. And he's launched a new site that is going to be purely informational and get this, he's aiming for a 1000 articles in 2021. And you know, funny enough, he wants to add a 1000 articles this year, when we're recording this. However, he was saying that he thinks he could do it before the end of the year. So he Let's us know his plans and some of the challenges along the way. And interesting to note that first sight he hit some seasonality issues. So we kind of get into the details of that. And I also I kind of call him out a little bit because there were a lot of comments over on the YouTube side where people just weren't finding his story relatable because he had money to invest. Now, the thing is, I know there's a huge wide range of people out there and some people have money to invest. Some people are late in their careers and they've been saving for a while. Maybe they have a paid for house and a handful of, you know, things and assets. So they don't necessarily have to be as budget conscious as some other folks there are also very young folks in the audience, or maybe you just don't have the, the money to spare for whatever reason. And we do talk about that. Like I said, I, I see all the comments out there, even though I don't reply to many of them, to be honest with you, but a lot of them bring up valid points and we, we talk about it. So I'll let you know about that. And a couple things to note that I want to let you know about ahead of time here. I'm going to ramble on at the end of the episode, but Charlie is going to be blog posting. He's going to guest post on my blog, Niche Site Project, following along with his progress this year. So kind of a cool thing that we're doing. And Charlie has a YouTube channel. So he's been putting out uh, several videos and it's brand new. It's pretty cool because I see his channel is growing faster than my new channel, which I'll tell you more about at the end of the episode. So let's hear Charlie's story here. Charlie, how's it going today? It's been a little while.
1: Dog, I'm excited to be back. We got a big update, a lot of excitement, um, and we got a new project coming. So everything's going well so far.
0: Cool. And one thing I want to you know, mention right off the bat is you started a YouTube channel, which I think is pretty awesome. You have a few videos out there. So how's it been going so far?
1: Yeah, it's awesome. It seems like a lot of people are really interested in seeing how that first mega site has gone and getting a lot of positive feedback and a lot of good comments. So it's something I'm going to continue to do. Um, maybe a few videos a week to start out and then a week a video per week from there.
0: Awesome. Yep, and I checked out a couple of, of the videos, so I encourage people to see Charlie's channel, and if you like it, certainly subscribe. So for, for this interview today, we're gonna kind of catch up on what has happened with your site. So um, originally, I know people can go back and watch the first video, but we'll just do a quick recap. So what was your like initial goal when you started this uh, niche site? in, I guess, authority site, really.
1: Yeah, sure. So I'm going to run through it rather quickly just because we went to it in such depth on the first video on your channel. But when I started this website, the goal was to make commissions through Amazon. I wanted to put out blog posts that were doing product reviews, doing best X for Y, using KGR terms, and just get traffic to my blog so I could push those users to Amazon, And the goal was to hopefully get $1,000 per month. And I started this back in March of 2020 during the first week of COVID. Uh, We had the work from home instruction. I started building the site. You know, I didn't know COVID would last this long, but I used it as an opportunity to really pump out a lot of content and grow my site with a team of writers. So the beginning of the site, I'd say the first 50, 60 articles I wrote on my own. From that point on, I was really excited about publishing more content. So I started looking into how to get content writers and use different writing agencies, um, used Upwork. And the time I came on for your video was at about 450 articles. And I was seeing some really strong growth right off the bat, which made it really exciting. I was getting uh, decent sales on Amazon where I was making a couple hundred dollars a month. And then I started adding ads to my website. And I thought, okay, Amazon's great, but... I can also make money with ads. So maybe the more important thing is traffic rather than just going after Amazon terms. So I really made a strong push towards informational content. After you know, a couple months of really focusing on Amazon, the last couple hundred articles are really just informational driven. I would strategically put some Amazon links in there. But as of December, which is when I stopped the massive content push, the total of the total articles on the site is 526. Uh, which is really exciting and the organic search traffic it still hovers between 10 to twelve thousand users per month and the one thing i learned from this project that's kind of the part i didn't really account for was seasonality my site saw some tremendous growth in the first couple months ranging from april to to august and then it kind of leveled off from september october november december And even though I was putting out a ton of content, anywhere from 30 to 80 articles a month, it wasn't the content that was slowing down. It was just the seasonality of my niche. Uh, So I learned a lot from that. And it's kind of put me in the spot I am now, Uh, understanding building an authority website. There's a lot of pieces that go into it. Seasonality is a big one, but growth hasn't slowed down by any means. Articles are continuing to rank higher. I track my keywords. They continue to go up. It's just more the volume of those keywords being searched at this time of the year is significantly lower.
0: Can you let us know the earnings for, I guess, the last couple months, just so people can get an idea, the amount that you're earning from roughly 10 to 12,000 visitors per month?
1: Yeah. So the cool thing was December was a strong month, but it was actually very similar to November. So I I consider it a rather consistent amount of earnings. So December was about $350. Uh, I believe $200 were from ads. And 150 was from Amazon affiliate, which, I mean, it doesn't sound like a lot and it's not something to get super excited about, especially when you have that much content on a website. But adding in the seasonality and just the fact so much of those articles didn't even have time to rank yet, I was pretty happy with it. And just the fact it's kind of an upward trajectory from the months prior.
0: And some people may be thinking, hey, 526 articles, that sounds expensive because you're not writing them yourself. So can you give us like a ballpark, how much you've spent on the site, like all total roughly?
1: Yeah. So there is obviously the additional cost of backlinks, which I did spend money on um, at different points throughout the project, but all in with content, I'm just around 15,000. And to date, if you add in all my months of earnings from Amazon and Ezoic ads, um, just about around the 1200 to $1,300 mark.
0: Okay. And for people out there that are thinking, Hey, you spent 15,000, you've made 1200. Um, like how do you respond? Like if, if your friend was like, Hey man, what do you, what do you do? And this doesn't add up.
1: Well, the cool thing is, I actually had somebody try and sell me a site in this niche and I saw their traffic charts and I saw their traffic in season versus out of season and they were getting three and a half times, sometimes more traffic in season for out of season. So I kind of evaluated my website based on the multiple right now using that as an example. So if I'm making $350 out of season and let's say I'm just making $1,000 in season, that gets me to around $700 a month an estimated earnings for the next year. And that's assuming no growth, no keywords go up. My site doesn't gain any authority. That's just where we're at now. So if you put a 30 times multiple on it, I mean, my site's worth anywhere between you know 20 to 22 grand. And thinking it in terms of that way, I could say, well, I'm technically positive right now, right? I put all this money into an asset. My asset's technically worth X amount of dollars. And I'm also collecting those monthly checks. So honestly I'm pretty happy where I am right now considering how much content's lost the rank.
0: Okay. And and just remind me you work in finance, right?
1: Yeah, I guess that I kind of gave it away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. That, I mean
0: that's that is the right. I mean there's a few ways you can look at this, right? So you you took action, you did a bunch of shit, and it's been a learning experience, and you have something to show on the other end. So can you break down a few things that you learned
1: from this process, right? Yeah, well, that's, that's another thing you mentioned too. So what I learned from this, I honestly could put a dollar amount on that as well, and the dollar amounts to be determined on how my next projects do, right? What I learned here, I mentioned it already, was seasonality, that being really important. But I learned so much about keyword research and understanding what articles actually get ranked and what articles actually bring in traffic. I wasted so much money on hiring writers to write about a topic that will probably never bring more than a couple visitors a month. I just didn't know keyword research that well early on, especially from the early months of April, May, and June. It was really, it's kind of crazy how a lot of my articles that are starting to rank are the more recent 100, 200 articles that I published. I got such a better field for keyword research, uh, understanding how these sites work and being involved in the community. You see other, you know, even YouTubers and looking at other blogs, you see how they rank newer keywords. And that's what really was the game changer for me was saying, okay, now I got it. Now these, these are pieces of content that are going to rank. This is how you do keyword analysis, and this is how you write topics that actually bring in traffic.
0: So you mentioned backlinks, and you mentioned paying for them. Can you tell us about your backlink strategy for for this site?
1: Sure. So in the initial stages of my site, the first couple months, everything I did backlink-wise was on my own effort. So me doing manual outreach and trying to get links on other sites in my niche. And I did get a lot of free links early on. You know I mentioned in our last video how I would go after resource links. I'd go after websites in my niche that were more local businesses, places I' actually been to, people I somewhat knew and said, "Hey, you know I created this website. Do you mind giving me a link? Do you mind giving it a resource? Um, or hey, I wrote a review about your small business, about what you guys do? Can you throw me a link? And it actually really worked in a lot of cases. But then once those areas kind of ran out and, People weren't answering my emails just because there was only so many people to reach out to. I did start buying links and it wound up being between 10 to 15 niche edits a month. And I looked, I started buying them towards the end of May, and I did it through the end of August. And depending on the service providers, I did find some links that were a little more expensive, that were higher quality, and some links that you know weren't as expensive, but didn't really kind of move the needle or impact anything. And I wound up spending a few grand on backlinks, which looking back on now, I don't think I would have done that, especially in the early stages of my site. I still think it had an impact where content kind of shot up right away and you know, low competition keywords were getting some authority that pushed them up into the first page rather quickly. But I'd rather spend that money building more content putting that content back into the site, going after real, real low competition keywords that really don't need backlinks to rank. And even if those articles bring in a couple of visits a day, I think spending that money there is actually more helpful in growing your website early on, in my opinion.
0: And it's a classic uh, issue that we see where your site's growing anyway, you publish content, it's aging a little bit, it's maybe improving in rankings, and it's really hard to tell, was that gonna rank anyway, or was it the backlink that helped? Is is there any way to tell? Like, how did you evaluate that?
1: So it's interesting. I remember when I was first getting advice from like an SEO consultant, (laughs) he was telling me, let the article index, let it see where it ends up with no backlinks, just on your website's authority and age, and then from there, let's start sending links and seeing what happens. And I actually didn't mind that strategy because I could see if the content was actually liked by Google early on before I started sending links. And that was usually how I tested sending backlinks to pages that weren't the homepage. Right? A good chunk of my project was sending niche edits and guest posts that were just linking back to my homepage and my website. Right? Like If I'm getting a resource link, odds are they're just referencing you know my blog. But once I started using service providers, I could kind of target in on some pages and not really worry about getting those pages linked. And I had like, for example, I had one article that was searched like 2,000 times a month and it was on the second page, second result, right? So number 12, if you think about it. And then I sent some links and now that article's pushed all the way up to number four and it's getting quite a few views a day now. So that could be an example of an article that was definitely worth sending backlinks to. It's bringing in traffic, it's bringing a couple sales through Amazon, and actually an informational keyword that has some links to Amazon, but that's a good example of how I invested money into buying links for a page, and it actually wound up you know, improving in rankings. Now, will that eventually get to one, two, or three? I don't know. I mean, it's in a good spot now, and it's continuing to clo- slowly climb. I wonder if general authority and age on just the website and the article itself will help. But, you know, always justifying backlinks becomes tricky. Uh, It seems like when in doubt, send it to the homepage of your website. And as your website grows, you're like, yeah, backlinks helped.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's really, it is hard to tell. However, when you do look at, you know, really any industry, if you look at the top ranking sites, a lot of times those will have links. Now, did they get the links so that they can get to number one or they got the links because they were number one? I don't know. There's no way to tell. So, but That's you, a usually, I mean, question. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it's a huge industry to sell links. So the other problem, I mean, I'm an affiliate for multiple companies that sell services. So, I mean, you can't, I hope people trust what I say, but everyone's biased in some way, either they're selling you uh, the backlink services or they're selling you something else instead of the backlink services. So it's like, who do you trust? You could find case studies and examples contradicting or proving whatever you want. So
1: one thing I found really cool, and this is a helpful tip for when you're reviewing link services and finding the best backlinks to buy is see if those links that are on websites are on websites that are actually making money and monetizing their content. It just shows that it's a more real website and it's actually providing value to users if they're able to monetize their own content And a great example of this is if I get niche edits that are on a blog that has like Mediavine or AdThrive as like their ad agency, that means that blog is getting anywhere between 50 to 100,000 plus views. That's a great indicator that it's a live, healthy blog. And having a link from that could be a really good indicator to Google that you're on a credible website that's making money, that's adding value to the community. And I've noticed those backlinks usually come from the Better service providers. They're not these like fake made up websites that they happen to just throw your link on. They're like, oh, yeah, it's a very old website. Well, what's really the story of that site? Is it like a true genuine blog? Is it actually adding value to the users? So that's just like a key like that's the thing I learned through the first project of building my site. like what was really a you know home run backlink for something that was just kind of a waste of money?
0: Anything else with backlinks, any big insights or you know, helpful tips for people out there?
1: Other than that, I think another thing to remember early on too is, is speed of backlink building, right? I don't think it's bad to build backlinks. I think having them organically is obviously really important. But if you're going to be putting in a lot of backlinks in the first month of a website and you don't keep up that speed for the months after that follows... I think that can be a little dangerous just because you're kind of giving mixed signals to Google search, right? Like if you have a lot of links, okay, great. This website must have some healthy content. Let's think about how we can, you know, crawl more pages or push ranks up higher. And then all of a sudden those links slow down. It's not like you're going to get penalized, but it could be more of a, well, maybe the content's not adding the value that it once was. Where on a flip side, if you think about like an organic backlink growth backlinks come in a few a month and as the website grows and as more content's published backlinks come up more frequently then Google's just seeing a more natural growth and saying oh the content's more valuable the website's growing people are linking to it more it just like kind of makes sense in their eyes so kind of getting away from just the penalties of Google from building links think more of like what makes sense for a website to really grow what what looks good to the user Ha- it, natural links helps with that. But if you're going to build backlinks, try and replicate backlink growth to the size of your website growth. As more articles rank, as more traffic comes in, as more content's published, try and have that line up with your backlink process.
0: And I take it you did that early on. So you were publishing a ton of content. You mentioned you were getting a decent number of links from like May to August. And what, what did you say, like 10 to 20?
1: links? Yeah, I do about 10 to 20 a month. Yeah.
0: Okay. Very good. And then, so you stopped in August roughly?
1: Stopped, stopped in August and just focused on content for a few more months.
0: Okay. So at this point in
1: time, are you building any
0: more links?
1: haven't built any more links and I haven't published an article since the middle of December.
0: Looking forward in 2021, what is the content and back linking plan for this site?
1: So that's something that I think I'm going to see how the first few months of 2021 go in terms of content growth. Just the first two weeks of January, I don't know if there's some type of change in the algorithm that was past December, but content's actually really starting to rise in traffic again. And I don't think it's because of the seasonality side of it. It looks like content's starting to get another jump. Um, My site is at the eight and a half month mark, which is great. Um, I kind of want to see what happens when I get to the one year mark before I push out more content. I think in terms of just having your ads on your website, it's important to put out some fresh content, even after a few months of not doing anything, just to show your ad providers that you're putting out fresh content and people are coming back to your site. I think I saw that somewhere. So I'm going to try and put out at least a couple articles just in March or April, but I have no you know, plan to put out a massive amount of content on this website until I see the growth that I'm expecting to see from the seasonal part of it.
0: Awesome. Okay, so it's not that you're not gonna be busy, because you're gonna be working on publishing a lot of content elsewhere. So let's start the transition to your new project. Tell us about that, what's the goal? Why would
1: you make such a goal? I am really excited about this project. So this started on one night in the first week of December. I was actually doing keyword research for my first website, and I stumbled upon a site that already had an article written for that keyword. And I was kind of amazed that that site had that keyword written already. Because so I was like, oh, I thought I'm kind of targeting a keyword that's pretty underserved and no one's gone after. So I clicked on the site and I ran it through Suggest, Hrefs, and SEMrush just to see what type of traffic it was getting. And it was getting 900,000 organic searches a month. And the site was 11 months old. So then everything started turning and I was like, how can I replicate this? The site had little to no authority in terms of links. It was just a massive content push. So I kind of went through the website and I figured out the website published over a thousand articles about it being like a thousand and articles, all informational topics, answering just simple questions in Google that were underserved. And it was such a simple site. I was like, I could do this and I could go after similar topics and be in the same niche and really thrive with it so that's where the idea for my new website came and knowing everything i learned from keyword research and understanding how these websites need to be built i was going to make a real clean site with informational content pieces between a thousand to fifteen hundred words i was going to hire a team of writers some that i already had get them at a cheaper price than i had my writers on my first website because i knew the good writers were ready, didn't have to spend money on test articles And I would give them really structured format and templates for different themes within the articles on the site. So I had this big grand plan, I was gonna do a ton of keyword research, have everything ready to outsource and just start sending articles out in larger batches. And that's pretty much what I've done. And the site was launched on December fifth. And to this date, it already has 200 articles published in just six and a half weeks, roughly. So the content push has been great. I'm Literally spend every night uploading anywhere between three to twelve articles, depending on how many come in from the writers. You know, I read them over, I edit them, I put a couple of internal links in there to other articles on the site, and it takes about ten minutes or so to publish an article and edit it and review it, put it on the site. I have uh, deposit photos for images right now, and those images are really clean. It makes my site just look really professional, and the content push is just going to keep going until. Till we get to 1,000 articles this year.
0: 1,000 articles, amazing. So you mentioned that you have like 200 articles published already. Do you have much traffic? Do you have any um, results to share already?
1: So right now I'm at the point where I'm kind of just getting excited about impressions and Google Search Console. Um, I did use Serp Robot, which is a great tool to track keywords. I think for like $5 a month, you can track 300 keywords at a time. So I tossed like my first 300 keywords in there, even though only 200 have been published so far. And I am seeing some significant jumps in keywords starting to rank. But outside of really low competition keywords, nothing seems to be in the top 10 just yet. I just think it's really too early to to tell or to see any results. So no traffic, maybe a couple, maybe two or three clicks a day at this point. All right.
0: And you you mentioned that the keyword that you found was on a site that you, you didn't think it was gonna have that content. So is it related to your original niche or is it just kind of a um, adjacent topic area?
1: It's an adjacent topic area. I think what I actually discovered was the site covered a piece of that idea within its article. It wasn't the main topic. I think it wound up being maybe a subheading that caused me to click on it because it still won the snippet, which I was fascinated about. But I noticed something about how they formatted to their articles which this is the key to building my new site, is they would answer the question and they would do a bolded response that directly answered it and then gave one or two supporting sentences to that subheading or main heading of the article. So within each thousand word article, they were providing answers for roughly five or six questions really closely related to that topic. So, yeah, maybe if they were getting 20 searches from each topic a month, that's not a big deal. But if they had it for five times in one article, they were getting a substantial amount of traffic for a 1,000 word article. And that's what I really picked up. And I think it's something I did accidentally on my first site with winning snippets and doing a good job of that. Like maybe, I don't know, 30 or 40 articles won the snippet for those type of phrases on my first site. But my goal for this site was every article should have the chance of winning a snippet like every time i hit publish i should have edited that article or had the writer work on it in a way that it makes sense that it will win the snippet like it has to because this is the way it's formatted it's providing a clear and concise answer and it's getting to the point
0: we'd love to get a hold of that uh template it sounds like it's it's pretty powerful huh
1: it's really worked some wonders and I've seen the power of it just from that first site. I think stumbling upon this website changed my views of building authority websites and putting out informational content. So yeah, I would love to go over that template with you. Maybe it's something we do together, Doug.
0: Awesome. Yeah, we'll probably do another interview. We can like dive in and just make it available for people out there. So yeah, I'd like to see the templates. You Maybe I can get a sneak peek before we actually do the interview. So very cool. <laughs> very cool. So you're going to do Um, a thousand articles, you have 200 already. Are you, um, I guess, do you have like the content planned out far enough? Do you have all those keywords already or where are you at in the process?
1: Yeah. So I looked earlier today and I'm up to 475 topics that I have laid out. So obviously 200 published, I have another 275 to go. It's not like I'm targeting a topic and completely covering every area in that category. It's more about me going after categories that other sites in that space have made. And there's just a lot of topics they've never covered. So I'm really just going after things that don't have topics written about before. They haven't really been mentioned before in an article on you know a competitor's site. And once I think I saturated a good amount of the topics that I wanted to go after that no one else did... Then I move on to like my next category. And I usually have a writer working on each category just to kind of keep things clear and keep the format concrete for that writer.
0: So just to repeat, you are focusing kind of in a topic area. You use the word category, but you're kind of focusing on a set of topics at a time. And I imagine that helps build relevance for that topic with Google is that kind of the strategy or is it just the way it worked out as you were doing keyword research?
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't, I know it's true. I know topical relevancy matters and understanding that's important, but I also want to see like what topics actually, like just cause competition's low, like does it have the traffic that supports it? So I don't want to go too all in on one category or topic until I really see it work. Then maybe when I go after and pump out 50 to hundred articles in on that one topic, you know, the the keyword relevancy and the topical authority will come into play more then. But right now, it's just kind of putting out a bunch of like different lines and seeing which one's the best, the best poll, like which one's the area to really, really, you know, jump down on. And I'll probably know that in the next couple months, just from what's initially ranking and what's the initial position that it finds in Google.
0: Do you have any handle on the potential of this site, either as far as traffic or revenue that you're looking for? Maybe you can give us like a six month and one year and like long-term vision that you have.
1: Sure, so just to keep things simple in terms of numbers, I said a thousand articles. I'm sure a lot of you are wondering what's the expense for that? How much is that gonna cost? So the writing team I have right now, and I'm really confident with the way they're writing articles and I'm really happy with what they're doing. I've got it down to a rate where I'm paying two cents per word, which winds up being twenty dollars per thousand word article. I also have a few writers that are writing more simpler posts that just require less research just because I give them such a structured format, it's very easy for them. I was able to get those articles down to fifteen dollars per per thousand word article, which has been really awesome. So if we just put an average of, let's say, you know seventeen and a half dollars per article that's a thousand words, Getting to 1,000 articles will cost roughly $17,500 just in terms of my content plan. Now, I really don't have an, an idea of spending money anywhere else. I mean, I did pay for a small subscription just to get photos on my website that looked really good. But at $17,500 initial investment, I mean, the question is, what type of return do I have to see on that where I'm confident that my investment worked? And just to kind of throw around numbers, let's say the website made $1,000, right? And let's just stick to ads for right now, not even adding in the fact that I could throw Amazon affiliates into this. If I hit $1,000 a month, what type of traffic do I need to achieve that $1,000 a month? And then what does that $1,000 mean for the year? So if I make $1,000 a month, I can make my total money back on the site in a year and a half, which I think is really, really good. But I think at $1,000 a month, the traffic that that would take could even be, let's say 75,000 views at a $15 RPM, I think 75,000 views would be very underwhelming for a 1,000 articles, especially with the grasp I have on keyword research. So my expectation, I think, for the first year of the website, so one year from now, considering the site is not seasonal, is I think the website should be able to get to 50,000 page views, and at 50,000 page views with, I don't know, a $10 RPM should easily be $500 a month. And that's being on the conservative side of everything going on and then at a $500 a month income just the website's worth in terms of you know the multiple on that at 30 times would get me to 15 grand so that means in one year i already made my money back in terms of the website's asset value i think i feel pretty confident thinking that off the bat but you know i have big expectations for this website i wouldn't be shocked to see it get into you know the 200 300 thousand view range for 1000 articles i don't think that's out of reach
0: i don't think so either that seems like a reasonable Um, amount of traffic. And then those are relatively conservative estimates. And I know actually there were a few comments on your original interview where people were like, hey, Charlie's not an everyman who like doesn't have the money to invest. This is not a practical story. And I mean, I I fired back like right away because I have case studies where it's like, hey, I spent $10,000 It's not all in one day, by the way, everyone. It's um, over the course of several months, in your case, a year. So, I mean, do you have any thoughts on people that had an issue with the amount that you were able to invest?
1: I mean, at the end of the day, this isn't just like a fun project we're all thrown aside. Like we all treat these websites as businesses. And this is just like someone else going out and starting a business in their local town or community. And that's the way I'm going to approach this, right? Like this is a business venture. I'm tracking all my expenses, tracking the opportunity. Like Doug mentioned, this isn't just one large cost up front. This is going to be over many months. And another way to think about it too is, I mean, just because someone's putting a lot of money into a site doesn't mean they have all this money to play with and just throw around. Like they could be taking sacrifices elsewhere, spending less money in other spots to really grow their vision or idea. And that's really what this is. It's just growing a vision or idea. And you can see when I started my first website, you know, I didn't have any plans at all of getting to 1,000 articles. But... The business thing you want to focus on here is if things start working, even if you just put out, let's say, 25 articles, 50 articles, if you see things working and you can start scaling up, even just from money that you make from the content that's already on your site, Like understanding how people do it on a larger scale can be extremely important to implementing those tactics and ideas for growing a smaller website. Yeah, it may take a longer period of time. But maybe you can mitigate a lot of risk from understanding what a larger story does and pick up some of the things that, you know, they might have made mistakes in.
0: Well said. I can share one of my stories where basically I did exactly what you're talking about. I made an initial investment in some content in. And- I eventually published a lot over time, but it was a sort of a snowball rolling downhill situation where I kept reinvesting a little bit more to help grow the site. And then at some point I was comfortable with the amount of content and I wasn't wasn't gonna keep up that publishing schedule. So I throttled back and then I was able to, you know, take the profits, put it somewhere else or save the money or whatever I did with it. So yeah, there's a lot of different ways people can take this. And I hope folks aren't getting the, sort of idea like, Hey, this is just like an impractical, silly idea. It doesn't apply to me. So I don't, I mean, the fact is if you, we're not going to do this, but if we gave someone $50,000. And we said, you can hire whoever you want. There's a lot of people that are going to fuck it up. It's not easy to go hire a team. There's a lot of complicated things you have to deal with. So just because you have the money doesn't mean like, Hey, it's easy to go do X. If I had $20,000, I guarantee you, how many writers you have, Charlie?
1: Uh, Right now I'm up to eight.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, it's not so hard. No, I'm just kidding. Managing eight (laughs) writers and getting them to publish a lot of content and you're actually serving as the editor and content manager and all that stuff. So it's not a trivial exercise. And I want to point it out because it is a, you know, there, there was a set of people who were like, Hey, this is not for me. You can learn something. You could learn something from people that are scaling. You could take those ideas. So, okay. Very good. Anything else that you're looking forward to with this uh, case study here?
1: Yeah. So I think I'm excited about it too. Cause I think I'm going to hold myself really accountable to just hitting goals and, keeping on track with content. I mean, my first website, I was really excited just because it was my first site in the in the space. And I was really passionate about what my site was about. While I still like the niche of this website, the fact that I have a following and a community behind me is a little bit more uh, motivating to kind of get content up and start really showing some traffic numbers and you know, updating that on my YouTube channel and sharing that with everyone. I, I'm really excited about that part of it as well. And I think I could really help a lot of people who are willing to learn and willing to see what happens with it um, from the journey, which excites me.
0: Yeah, you're definitely accountable because you're going to be blogging on this at niche site project <laughs> each month. So even if nothing happens, you're still writing a blog post over there.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I'm looking forward. That's gonna be exciting.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a kind of a cool cross promotion situation. So just uh, for full like transparency, um, I saw Charlie was starting a YouTube channel. And I thought, hey, that's cool, he's documenting this stuff. I also knew that Charlie was actually writing out some updates on a forum. And basically I was like, oh, he can write those updates at a place where more people potentially can see it and not on a forum sort of like behind the the walls there. So yeah, I, Proposed the idea. It seemed like a win-win for both of us. So we are sort of cross-promoting and detailing all this stuff over on Niche Site Project. Did you have any, um, do you have anything else to add with the cross-promotion that we're doing?
1: Yeah, I think a neat thing too is, I mean, Doug brings a lot of experience in Amazon space and he has plenty of case studies and prior websites that he's made a lot of money on doing that. I think me attacking an all informational like site Brings a really interesting dynamic because I'm sure Doug's written plenty of informational articles before, but having a site that solely relies on informational content to kind of keep it afloat will be interesting to see. And I think bouncing ideas off one another could really add a lot to the table for how we commoditize our sites going forward. Awesome.
0: Well, anything else that we should talk about that I didn't ask you about?
1: I think another question that I get a lot is my workflow. How do I do all this and when do I research keywords? When do I publish the articles? And how long does that take? Uh, are these writers good? So I feel like I'll just give a quick preview on the hiring process for Upwork and when I look at a writer, kind of what I do. So I do have a template that I mentioned with Doug. I have a few templates depending on the type of article that it is. But one thing that I really want to do is when I hire that writer, I want to have them just excited about the project as I am. So one thing I often say is, hey, you know, I'm building a very large blog with a lot of content. I would like you to be a part of it. You know, I'm going to send you a test article at a set price, let's say $20, $25. Let's see how the article goes. I can critique, make edits to that article as I see fit. If it's an opportunity where that writer can join my team, you know, I'll give them some extra effort in terms of editing that content. If I don't think it's a good fit, I kind of even toss out the article or just wind up putting it aside and one day I'll get to it and just edit, edit it completely. But I want to have a writer that says, oh, wow, they're uploading a lot of content yeah, I'll write for that blog and I'm willing to take a little bit of a discount. So I'm able to get these writers that normally charge between you know $25 to $35 per thousand word article for around 20 bucks because I'm sending them 10 articles at once for a week. So I send those articles out to them. They send me those articles as they're being completed. So every night when I check my inbox after after my day at work, I'll have like a couple articles from each writer, which is perfect because it's not like a daunting task to upload like 30 articles in one day. And I upload those articles, they're usually a different theme. So it's like more entertaining to review a topic that I'm not really reading the same format over and over. It's like slightly different from each one of these writers takes around 10 to 15 minutes to edit an article, I put a really nice high quality image on there, upload the article, submit the link to Google Search Console, add it to my keyword tracker, if it's not already in there, and on to the next one. And just, you know, getting in that process of understanding, what content you're outsourcing, what's coming in and getting up on your site as fast as possible. I think it's just as important as writing the content yourself and writing uh, on a frequent basis. You know, if you have content coming in, letting that content sit for a week or two weeks or even a month can really slow down the growth of your website. So I make sure there's no, um, there's no time loss between articles coming in and articles being published.
0: And if people are wondering why a freelancer would accept Lower than their normal rate, it's because it takes time for someone to find other gigs to work on. And if they don't have to search for a job and they know that they can work with you for months, maybe a year or more, they will take less money. And I've seen this you know time and time again. I mean it's it's nice to have regular work. They don't have to go and look through all the different job postings and go through interviews or anything like that. Are there any other advantages for them uh, that you could think of Charlie?
1: So I think one thing I've stumbled across a few times is writers know other writers on Upwork and they appreciate the frequent business. And then they also can refer me to other writers that they know. So not only are they going to get consistent long-term business, they may have somebody else that's maybe part of the same writing agency or somebody that they just know personally that they can refer me to. I've already had three different scenarios of that. And two of the times I actually hired the other writer. So I think it's good for them to kind of build their network. And especially for the writers that are earlier in top work, it allows them to build out their profile, get strong reviews, It shows the amount of money that they earn on Upwork. So that number will only rise with the more articles you take on with one person. So I definitely think there's a lot in there for them.
0: I didn't even think of that. Um, you know, using the network of the writer. That's a great way to find other writers.
1: Yeah, it's been really working nicely. Uh, Another cool thing I'm doing now is if I'm trying to go after a topic for my site that I haven't really come up with a format yet or a template, I hire a really expensive writer and I tell them what my mission is and I send them the link to my website and tell them what I'm trying to do. And even if it's like $60 for a thousand words, I'll tell them, hey, I'll pay you 75 for 1500 words and I want you to write me an article, and then I'll really critique it. So I can get like the perfect template where I can go back to my other writers and say, "Hey, this is what I need." So I, I think I found one writer that I really like. That I think her job is literally going to be to write really high quality pieces of content that will be the templates that I use for my other writers. And I'm gonna see how that goes, which I'm excited about.
0: Oh, that's a cool idea. I never, never even thought of that to like put the expert, the best person for certain jobs to get it. Sort of kicked off in the right the the right way.
1: Yeah, and the cool thing is I found someone that's also an expert in that space, in that niche, which they probably know more about it than I do. So I think what other elements they could add to it and kind of the research they put into it will maybe inspire my current writers to say, Oh, I didn't think of it that way. Where I would have never thought it that way either. So we'll see what happens.
0: All right. Any other thoughts about this other project, the new project?
1: So I think the last part is when do I expect to hit a thousand articles? I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's, you know, people say that and they actually going to accomplish it. So in the first six and a half weeks, I did get to 200 articles. I think at the current pace I'm on, I see a path where I can get to a thousand articles by August, despite any setback, I should be fine. Um, It's going to be a significant amount of money, but it is going to be broken up over the course of nine months from December to August. So I think financially, I can do it. It makes sense. And and I want to have everything kind of up as soon as possible. So the content can have time to sit and age and uh, really grow.
0: All right. Well, you could have given yourself more time, man. You got the whole year, but you're saying August.
1: That's the goal. And then at least if it doesn't work out, I have September to play with and then uh, (laughs) get ready for the holidays.
0: (laughs) Okay. Well, awesome. We will obviously be checking in on your YouTube channel. People could find the link in the uh, description and show notes. We'll be, you know, getting updates from you on a regular basis, both here on the podcast, YouTube, and on the blog. So many different formats for people to follow along. Um, anything else to add, Charlie?
1: Nothing else. Uh, tune into Niche Sci Project for the monthly updates and the occasional, you know, helpful video on my YouTube channel and income reports.
0: All right. And we'll definitely be doing that Uh, sort of content template discussion um, probably in a few weeks here. Sounds good to me. All right, thanks,
1: man. All right, Doug, take care.
0: Thanks again to Charlie, and be sure to check the links in the show notes here so you can see Charlie's blog post over on Niche Site Project, and there's going to be a series of them over the course of this year, and of course, his YouTube channel. Give him a shout over there and give him a subscribe. The support is always super helpful, especially with a new channel. And a couple things I do want to give a shout out to. Ezoic and their site speed accelerator. I appreciate them sponsoring the show. We've been partners for a long time and that site speed accelerator will help your site load faster. It'll work for any type of site, affiliate site, any kind of content site. You'll be able to implement it regardless of your content management system or CMS. So even if you're not using WordPress, you'll be able to use it. There's a seven-day free trial, so you could check it out. There's no risk to give it a shot. And they guarantee an 80 or higher on the Google Page Speed Insight score. And recently, if you're on my email list, you know that I kind of got obsessed with site speed again. It's one of those things I go back to. And in the email that I sent out, I was... Honest and said, I probably over optimized this because most of the time I can check my website, niche site project, and it usually loads in under a second. I'm using a kind of a a smaller hosting company called MDD Hosting. MDD Hosting. And I'm trying to think of what it would be like Murdoch, Doug, Doug, MDD. All right. So those are not the call uh words for i don't even know the proper names but like the the point is here the point is here i'm not using any kind of super fancy hosting it is like normal semi-dedicated hosting there's not a ton of other websites on the server that i'm using and it's relatively inexpensive i think i have a couple sites hosted on there and it is 50 bucks a month. So relatively modest hosting, nothing crazy. You can go to, you know, some of the bigger companies and you could be paying, you know, hundreds of dollars per month just for a good hosting package. So anyways, average hosting. And I went through and I basically stripped out one of the big, like the remaining issue that I had. So I took out Monster, which was kind of a, a warren in my side for years because I was trying to optimize everything. And the fact is opt-in monster was taking the majority of the time. Now, the thing is most of the time my site would load in under a second, but the other portion of the time. And if I check maybe a blog post that was heavy with images, or maybe had several embedded videos, it would take Uh, You know, two seconds, uh, maybe three and a half if the server was a little slow, which happens. I mean, servers have other things going on, other websites that they're serving. And sometimes it just takes a little longer. There's some congestion on the network or something like that. So I took out Optin Monster. I have a, an interim solution in place that'll, is good enough. I need to check my my data. I don't think my opt-in numbers, my email subscribers are dropping at all. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. At the end of the day, I'm probably going to code a custom solution using modal pop-ups and it's kind of a sad story. I tried to, I was busy. So I tried to hire someone on Upwork to code this out. It's pretty basic, and I played around with it myself. There's tons of places you can see how to implement almost any kind of solution that you're looking for. And I got kind of the basics working and I was like, oh, an actual developer will be able to do this in no time. This is a pretty simple solution. I'm not asking for anything complicated. And I hired someone, the first person that I talked to and like like normal, it's always a little more complicated than whatever they think it is. And this poor dude, brand new to Upwork, he didn't know what the fuck he was doing, basically. So part of it was my fault because, as a person who used to work in software, I didn't spec out all the business and technical requirements. The other people that worked or that do work in the software industry, like, you're you're probably thinking, yeah, Doug, you you definitely got to do those. You got to have some test cases that you can go through. And the sad thing is like normal, if you don't give the developers like a very clear spec of what you're looking for and the functionality visually, how it should look, they're going to do the best they can. I know the guy wasn't trying to do a bad job, but in certain areas, he just like literally didn't follow my fucking directions. And that that was annoying when I said, you know, do implement X using Y, like very clear instructions. So a little frustrating. And I went back and forth. And at the end of the day, I couldn't use what he put together because it was kind of garbage. So I, like I said, I put sort of a custom, not a custom, but, um, my own solution in place. So I need to fix it up and actually get that modal pop-up situation working. I have the skeleton working, but it's the CSS that I don't know how to do, which I think is actually pretty straightforward. I've just never spent time trying to customize CSS in a meaningful way where I know what I'm doing. So when I, when I'm looking at I don't I don't even know. When I'm looking at these elements, I think that's what they're called. I don't know how to target them properly. I think it's pretty basic. So I can't do everything at once. I'll come back around to it when the time's right. Okay. Final, final little rambles here. Dry January. It's going great. The date that I'm recording this is the 26th of January. We got a few days left. I have only had a couple maybe like rougher days where I was like, man, I sure would love to go grab a beer here, but it was usually either out of habit or boredom, not an actual like craving for alcohol, which is, I mean, that's obviously a positive thing. So a couple of days ago, we just didn't have any big plans. We had been going on fairly long hikes over the weekends, and then we were kind of taking a break this past weekend. And then, it was just kind of a lazy Sunday, just a lazy Sunday. And I was thinking, should sure would be nice to have one of those slow burn days where you maybe grab a, a beer around lunchtime and you just have a few in the afternoon. You're not going anywhere. You're not doing anything. You're just cleaning up around the house and the boredom, the boredom will get to you. So I definitely need to make sure I got, got things to do and I stay a little busy and just be occupied just be occupied. Even if I just go walk around outside or something like that. So it's going well. I am looking forward to having that first drink just because it's kind of, uh, it'll be like a ceremony. It's kind of like a ceremony, but here's the thing. I don't really miss it so much and I'm sleeping really well. Things are going fine. I, I kind of want to keep it going, But I don't have a great reason to. And I do enjoy not only the flavor of alcohol and beers, but I also like the buzz as well. So I'm in a position now where I'm trying to think of another long-term challenge that I could approach that would kind of be the counterpoint to drinking beer again. So one of them on my mind is fitness related. So it's either like putting on more muscle or lowering my body fat percentage, perhaps both those kind of go hand in hand. Cause I really wouldn't want to put on more muscle if I just got fatter. So I don't, I don't want to do that, but something related to not drinking would be perfect. And I could stick to that. I'm very good at sort of like long-term projects where you don't see quick progress and you just stick to it because you're stubborn. Those are good things for me to work on. So I am, I'm thinking about that. I'm not quite sure how that would look, but I know I'll probably get in much better shape if I continue to not drink nearly as often as I used to. And it was just, I mean, it was just a little, a little too much, a little excess. And if I just cut it down a bit, That'll be much better. And I'm going to be doing a lot more content on my new YouTube channel around these challenges. So honestly, I can't remember if I've mentioned it before, but we'll put a link in the description here for my new YouTube channel, which has a stupid placeholder name. I think it's called Challenge Doug. So I'm an unoriginal engineer and I'll name things anything as literally as I possibly can make it. So that's a placeholder name. I'll hopefully change it to something more generic in the future. But as I looked at putting out content on the same channel versus a new one, I was like, you know what? I think challenges have legs and I think I can put out content on that other channel and it'll be interesting in its own way. So I definitely have some ideas for, the overall video on this 31-day dry January challenge, and I've been doing some incremental updates along the way, usually when I have something interesting to say. So I'm looking forward to publishing some stuff out there. And then that new challenge that I was talking about should go hand-in-hand, hand, like I said, with continuing the more positive lifestyle of not drinking a few beers every day. I mean, that's basically what people that work in, breweries might do, because you would get like a shift beer. And it turns out a lot of the friends, especially uh, back in Montana, back in Bozeman, I had a lot of friends that worked in breweries. So it was pretty normal. You know, they would have a beer after work, they get a shift beer, they get, um, you know, they could, the beers right there, it's really easy for them to grab one. So I would potentially go hang out with them after work, after their work, and I'd go just have a beer And it was social and fun. And now that I'm talking about it, I'm like, of course I want to drink beer. But let's let's shift over. I do need to answer a couple questions. So we have the Niche Website Builders Q&A segment here. They're still pushing out 20,000 words of content for me. And I just have to take a quick look. Make sure everything looks exactly how I want it to look. And if I need any changes, I'll just email them back. They make those changes and then I can hit publish. So, very fast. And I still have the Shotgun Skyscraper campaign running, which is working fantastic. It is um, getting me a ton of links. And I just got a new. Content brief for the next piece of content, the next skyscraper post that they are going to publish for me. So, I got a question from actually the last episode. So, shout out to Chad. Chad shot me an email and said, Thanks for the hard work and free content. I was thinking, I've never put a dollar in your pocket, but I've got a ton of value from your content. So, thanks. It's fantastic. So, this is about Nigel's story here and I may need to do a little bit more research but I'm just going to, you know, get this out quick and answer for Chad the best I can without checking with Nigel. So, number 1, how would you do foreign language keyword research? So, that's a great question. I would probably do it extremely similar to what we do for English speaking. I think the important part is you select the country for like the Google search that you're aiming for. So you want to do the keyword research in that specific Google geography. And then of course you would need to put it in the foreign language. I think the one of the big things and I'm not I can't tell from your email address chat or uh, I don't know if English is your native language or something else. So I think one important part, and Nigel highlighted this in episode 218. Sometimes words are different, even from like the translation that than you would expect. I think it would be very helpful if you either spoke the language fluently or you knew someone who did, because sometimes a you know a sentence might be grammatically correct. It might look okay as far as the translations, but to a native speaker of that language, it may be very far off. They may even have a different word for it. So, you know, even just in the English speaking world, there's different, well, like UK, like proper English versus American English is different. I'm trying to think of uh, some words. So you have like, uh, it's like cookies and biscuits, and then you have elevators and lifts. I should ask my wife, she spent some time living in, uh, I think she lived in London for like a summer in college or between grad school and undergrad or something. But anyway, I know the fine people in the UK are going to email me and let me know some examples. Or if I just said something really dumb that didn't make sense, you'll also let me know that. So the point is there are different names for things and there are you know different names even within the regional dialects that you may find. So it'll be really important to get that stuff right so that you're actually aiming for keywords that people would search for and that do sound natural. Because even if you accidentally rank in and you get traffic to your site, if you're using the words improperly, and it sounds completely wrong, people are not going to stick around to read it. And you're going to have very poor visitor metrics there. The second part of the question from Chad here is how do you do foreign language keyword research for the large volume of US based Google searches in foreign language? That question, I don't understand. So Chad, please hit me back, feedback at doug.show. And if you have a question out there, I love to get emails. I try to answer as many as I can. It's a great way to connect with you and the audience and understand exactly what you're thinking about and the questions that you have, or even better, if you know better answers to the questions that I try to answer, I would love to hear those too. I know there's a lot of very smart people in the audience, so shoot me an email. I think that's all for today. Thanks to Niche Website Builders, of course. Thanks to Charlie for spending the time with me today and for Ezoic for their continued sponsorship. So much appreciated. We'll catch you on the next episode.